Welcome to the Assurance Show. This podcast is for internal auditors and performance auditors. We discuss risk and data-focused ideas that are relevant to assurance professionals. Your hosts are Connor McGarity and Yusuf Mullah. Connor, today we're talking about false positives. We are. A couple of days ago, we spoke about the five assurance analytics challenges, and we said that we're going to go through each one of those and the solutions to those challenges individually. So we spoke about number one, which was access to data. We spoke about number two, which was low value. In the next couple of episodes, we'll talk about numbers four and five, which are superficiality and then timing and reporting. For today, we'll focus on false positives and how to overcome that. Just to clarify, Yusuf, the low value episode was relating to uh, lower value insights as opposed to low value assurance. Yes. In terms of false positives, and this is this is a challenge that internal audit teams face and performance audit teams will face. If you're facing the false positives problem, first thing is you're not alone. There's a lot of auditors that find situations where there's just too many results or they don't know what to do with the sheer volume of results that has been generated. It can be quite overwhelming initially if you're new to it, to using data as part of your testing regime. I suspect that you know a lot of people can feel quite swamped. This is one of the reasons that prevent people from using data because they're just scared of what it is that they're going to see. They've been burnt before with just a large number of results and not knowing what to do with it. And then they think, oh, I'm not going to use data again because I don't want to get in that situation. Overcoming it is important. It's not very straightforward, but it's definitely achievable. And in these type of circumstances, Yusuf, it's often useful to have, say, a mentor or somebody more experienced coaching you through these early stages of, of your use of data. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I've, I found that quite useful both on the receiving side and on the giving side. I know early on in my career, there were people that that I'd work with in my team and would bounce ideas off each other. More lately, it's been giving back to guys that I work with either in, in our own teams or with clients that we deal with. But the discussions around this usually get you to a better place. It's It's usually not that easy to get to solutions if you just try to think about it in your own head. So having discussions and sounding boards and and working through the challenge with like-minded people can make this a lot easier. With traditional audit sampling, you would, you know, evaluate a small sample. They usually don't go beyond 50 or 100 items that you're sampling at any given time. But you can get, when you're doing analytics across full populations, you can get to thousands of results. And a lot of those could actually be false positives. There are different ways in which you can overcome this. And it all depends on the nature of the data and the nature of the subject matter that you have. The easiest one is if your data set is reasonably narrow, and by narrow, I mean you don't have a large set of fields, and it's also very well structured. So by structured, I mean you don't have lots of free text fields. The data ranges are finite, values that fall within particular ranges, and you have predefined categories of other fields. If you have that sort of narrow, well-structured, it's reasonably easy. So what you need to do then is you need to categorize your results and split them into specific buckets. And what you would do is you would bucket them based on certain key characteristics, and then you would review a sample of those, and it needs to be a representative sample, and then you extrapolate the results of the reviewed sample to the remainder of your exception population. That's where you have a narrow, well-structured data set. If you have a situation where your data is either very broad, as in not narrow, as in you have lots of data fields, or you have unstructured data and the unstructured data doesn't seem to follow any well-defined pattern. So usually that's free text, things like call center recordings or notes that are captured by call center agents. In those situations, 
it can be difficult to categorize your results into buckets because you don't necessarily know what the key characteristics are. If you have a small, like I said, in the narrow case, if you have a small set of fields, you're able to then work out what those key characteristics actually are to be able to split your data up and categorize it. If you have very broad or unstructured data there, you're then in a situation where it's a lot more difficult to just visually categorize your data into buckets. And so in this case, we need to follow up, but but more of an advanced approach. The approach actually uses machine learning techniques. So there's a blog article in our website around reducing noise and false positives, and there's an example there that explains how this is applied. In brief, what we do is we review a subset of the data. So we still categorize some of the data using some of the fields that we're able to categorize based on to get to a representative sample. And then what we do is we use supervised machine learning to get to evaluate that smaller sample, label them, and then use that labeling to extrapolate the results onto a larger population. But in this case, you're not extrapolating it manually. You're extrapolating it using a, an automated technique. The software exists. It's it's really not difficult to do. Quite often, you if you haven't done something like this before, it's quite easy to reach out to somebody who, who has and, and can help you work through what that might look like. But it's not something that you have to wait for into the future. Those techniques are available today for us to use, and they're available in open source software for us to be able to use. Is there an example that you could give us that might speak to this approach? This example, again, is in that article that I spoke about earlier. The situation was that we had a an assurance review. So this was a home loan assurance review for a medium-sized financial services organization with a small internal audit team. So really, this is, you know, it's internal audit team had fewer than 10 people, right? So we're not talking about hundreds of people in a bank. But even in a medium-sized bank, your transaction data sets can become quite big. In this case, we were looking for a particular situation where we knew that there were challenges with being able to, and I'm summarizing this, but challenges in being able to meet the needs of a particular type of customer. And that customer had uh, specific requirements, or those customers had specific requirements because we were relying on call center data for the interactions with customers to be able to understand which customers were affected and which customers were not affected, that then became a large set of unstructured free text data. So this was call center recordings and that were converted to text or people in the call center that were typing notes up. And so when we got to our set of potential exceptions, um, when we had uh, over 5,000 exceptions, we said, what are we going to do with this 5,000 exceptions? Just ridiculous, right? You can't possibly manually review that. It will take months. We don't, as internal audit, we don't have the time. In fact, not months. It will take about a year to evaluate all of that is what we worked it out. So one person for almost a year to evaluate them manually. So 5,000 exceptions out of how many records? There's about half a million customers. All of the data that we're looking at was roughly 800 million records. It wasn't massive. You know, 5,000 out of 500,000, that's 1% of the population, but it's still 5,000. It's still quite big. Sure. So relatively small, but we want to make sure that, you know, we're getting to the, the, the specifics where we actually need to do something or we actually need to identify a potential change. We knew that the answer wasn't 5,000 because just looking at a f- the first few of them, we saw that some of them were, you know, real and some of them were false positives. What we did in that case was that we used some fields that we had to get to a reasonably representative sample. And then including, for example, the length of the free text data that we had. So you can't always tell what's in the free text data and you can use various sort of techniques to try to get to that. But the easiest one that we used was how long is the free text data? Does it contain certain keywords? So we got that. We then 
identified a subset of representative sample and we evaluated those manually. So we took about 50 to 100 of them, evaluated them manually, got a label. The label was either true positive or false positive. And then we used that with a open source piece of software, putting the data in, the label data in, creating a model. So what the machine does is it creates a model. So you put together a workflow that uses machine learning techniques and you create a, a model. And that model represents the way in which to identify true positives and true negatives. So the way in which to identify labels in the remaining data sets. And then you use that same model output to, and, and you apply that to the remainder of the population that isn't labeled to create that label. So the machine, basically what it does is it says, when you were looking at this record manually, what is it that made you select true positive or false positive? And then it tries to work out what the different weights of the different fields that it needs to use are and what the potential values in those fields might represent and also what the words in the free text might mean in terms of getting to a result. And then it provides you with a result. We, In this situation, we were able to get to a significant reduction in false positives. We dropped down from 5,000 to just under 500. So we eliminated 90% of the exceptions. So, and 500 is a lot easier to deal with than 5,000. Still a lot of numbers, but by using a simple technique, we're able to eliminate 90% of the exceptions. So that's a simple example. The issue of audit teams finding lots of false positives is so pervasive that it's probably a good topic for the annual training that every auditor has available to them. Those with a particular interest in using data better and, and perhaps dipping their toe in the water of supervised machine learning, it might be something that you can they can raise with their assurance leaders as a, a topic for their training. Often that would come up if particularly if they've been seeing something like that come up. If you know if you haven't if you haven't seen it before, there's usually no burning platform for it. The challenge is that if you come up against it and you haven't prepared for it, you may be in a situation where you just don't have enough time to work out what it is, or you may not have the imagination around getting to that answer. So as long as you know about the fact that there's potential for this to be resolved, and when you see it, you identify that there's a situation here that you know you need to reach out to somebody for help with, then you can actually get that help at that time and then work out, is this something that we need to be able to train ourselves to do so Yusuf, you mentioned a few times there the use of open source tools to do some of this analysis, and obviously we prefer to use Nime. Can you just expand, which is open source, obviously, can you just expand on some of the um, the attributes of Nime and why you found it so useful? Obviously, open source means that we could use it with absolutely no limitations on data size or functionality of the software to get to a reasonably quick result. It's graphic user interface, so we're not talking about trying to code in Python or R, and I know there's lots of R and Python programs out there may potentially disagree with me, but the reality is that if you want to learn how to conduct analytics, you don't necessarily need to learn how to code. It's useful to know how to do how to code. There's nothing wrong with learning how to do that, but if you really want to focus on providing value out of analytics, then you need to use the newer technologies that are available that are easier to use than trying to code everything by hand from scratch. The platform is graphic user interface, point and click, you configure your nodes and away you go. And if you want to code, you can code. So you can incorporate Python or R or Java or SQL or anything else in there. And because the platform is built 
was built largely for advanced analytics. It just made sense to use it on, on this project and for this particular problem that we had. There's lots of different software packages that we can use. We use Nime. It just makes sense. There are obviously others that you can use, but if you're using some of the more traditional analytics tools, then I would suggest thinking a little bit differently about that because you will be stuck with false positives and you will be stuck with an inability to get to a solution. In a nutshell, false positives, you can do a couple of things depending on the data that you have. If you have very narrow data and it's pretty structured, just take a standard straightforward profiling approach. If you have a different situation, say if you have broader data or if you have unstructured data, then you may need to adopt a technique that's slightly more advanced, but definitely something that you can do yourself. So false positives be gone. We now have solutions to deal with them. And if you're stuck with this, reach out to somebody that knows you can reach out to one of us. We don't think that there's any reason to be not conducting analytics just because you think there's going to be too many results coming out at the end and so that's challenge three solved perfect people just need to get over the fear factor if they've got that initial rush of false positives so that's been uh, some great advice in there today um good speaking with you yusuf thanks anna we'll talk about the next two tomorrow and the day after if you enjoyed this podcast please share with a friend and rate us in your podcast app For immediate notification of new episodes, you can subscribe at assuranceshow.com. The link is in the show notes.